of God at War. So unfortunately, of course, well, not unfortunately, it was a great last week. If you are here last week, um, Jared Lieberzeit was great. I know he impacted and left a really good deposit. But the problem, of course, is that it kind of interrupted the flow of God's at War. So um, I'll just give you a kind of a brief recap of, of notes that I took over the last three weeks that Craig had done. So week one was idolatry is the issue. So anything at all can become an idol once it becomes a substitute for God in our lives. To describe the concept more clearly, anything that becomes the purpose or driving force in your life probably points back to idolatry of some kind. Does that make sense? Yeah. Week two was the battleground for the gods. What is it that these gods are fighting for? Your heart is what they're fighting for. Because your heart determines who you are, how you think, and what you do. Because everything flows out of it. So your heart is the front line for the gods at war. The heart is the truth of your identity. It's why they fight so fiercely for every inch of it. What you are searching for and chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war in your heart. Whatever God wins the day will claim your throne. And week three was a jealous God. So God is jealous for your heart, not because he is petty or insecure, but because he loves you. The reason why God has such a huge problem with idolatry is that his love for you is all-consuming. He loves you too much to share you. And God, in his deepest and most startling expression of his relentless pursuit, sent his own son. Jesus represents for us how far God is willing to go to win your heart. And so that leads us to week four which is about calling all gods, and this is the showdown. This is the whole point about why we've been having the last three weeks about getting you to a place so that we can have this conversation, so that we can address this particular thing, because you've got to know that we're pointing to the thing that you actually have to begin to make a decision. And if you turn with me to Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now therefore... Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." So to put this into context so you understand what's happened, I'm going to paraphrase for you Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of Joshua to the last chapter. In a nutshell, we had Abraham, who was given a promise by God that he was going to dwell in this amazing land. So Abraham goes, and he, along the way, he has children, couple and things happen and then we get through so that those children then become this massive tribe which became Israel and then they get moved into Egypt because of famine and then instead of following God's plan which was to go to where God has been sending them go to the promised land they dwell in Egypt now while they are dwelling in Egypt they get made slaves they get enslaved and so then what happens is that a deliverer eventually gets risen up, and Moses gets risen up, and he comes along. And he goes into Egypt, and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And there's this massive showdown, and it's phenomenal. It's really awesome. If you read the Bible, you read through all those chapters where you see what happens, where God 
systematically breaks down the gods of the Egyptians and every single plague he has was to, de to destroy every single god that they had. And he breaks it down and finally he gets to the point where Pharaoh goes, you know what, just get out. So they go. So Moses gathers all the people. And not only do they go, not only do they just leave as slaves, but they go with the wealth of Egypt behind them. Because they gather up all their, the Egyptians gathered up all their jewels and all their fine linens and everything they had, and they just gave it to the Israelites and they said to them, get out, take all the stuff and go, because having you here has destroyed our nation. So they go and they cross through the Red Sea. Other stuff happens. They're not a particularly faithful people, which I find interesting. Because God has demonstrated through the ten plagues that he is faithful. God has split the Red Sea for them, which proves that he is faithful. He has provided food for them the whole way through, and still these people whinge and complain. And a journey that should have taken them one month takes them 40 years. They go camping for four decades. This is horrifying. I don't like camping. I'll be honest. My idea of camping is a motel versus a hotel. Like when Craig says to me, we're going to go camping, I won't go. Like seriously, I don't, I don't. I just, I, why do I want to pay money to these people and live like a homeless person for a week? I just don't, I don't understand why we do this, people. But anyway, so instead of going on a one-month journey, it takes them 40 years. And so while they're doing this, Moses and his generation, because of all the whinging, they die off. They're completely gone. There's none of them left. And they do this before entering the promised land that God had promised them way back with Abraham. Same promised land. Not new land, the exact same land God said. So you have this happen. And then Joshua, he is Moses's. Um, General is probably the best term to use for him. So Joshua rises up, and Joshua is the one who actually leads them into the promised land. So he goes in, he takes all these people, he replaces Moses as leader, and he goes into the promised land. And we get to this point where he's done all the stuff, and you've got to understand, he's done a lot of stuff. And what he did is he... He fought wars. He pulled down the, the walls of Jericho. He um, was in a battle where the sun stood still so he could keep fighting. So this is a man's man. This is a man who knows how to fight. He knows how to do strategy. He is strong. And he led these people, three million or so people, through these battles. And he was victorious. And they've been overtaking the whole entire land. And now we come to this point in chapter 24. He's not a young man anymore. He's now about 110 years old. He has fought battles. He has lived a life of faith in the face of quite a few people who were not living a life of faith. And he has held to that faith. And while his body is no longer as strong as it was, he's no longer able to command with a physical presence, he gets up and gathers the whole of Israel together. And he speaks with his voice of authority because he still has his voice. And he still has that authority. And he still has the respect of the people. And he's pretty sure that this is going to be the last time he gathers to be able to speak to them. And he knows them. He knows that they're fickle. He knows that they're faithless. He knows that they constantly whinge and complain. So what he says now, he knows has to be important to them. And he says, 
He gets there and he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua gets right to the point. He's, done, he's not dressing it up. He's not making it look nice. He gets right there and he throws down this challenge. And it's time, he says, for you guys to make a choice. You have to decide. You can choose to follow the Lord God, the God of Abraham, the God who brought us out of slavery, who led us through the Red Sea, the God who has given us this promised land and overthrown every obstacle that was there. You can choose to serve that God or you can choose to serve a different God. It's time to select a God and follow him and allow your following of that God to shape your worldview because that's what happens when you follow someone. Be saying to them, no matter what it is that you guys pick, I've actually made my choice. Me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. What I find really interesting is that he actually gives them three other choices apart from God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but whenever we do salvation altar calls, we don't say to people, you can pick this God, or you can pick this one, or you can pick this one, or you can pick God. Like, that never happens, right? But here comes Joshua, and he actually gives them four choices in the end. And he's the first option he gives them is to follow the old gods from beyond the river, the place where you started out. The second option is to follow the gods that you met next in Egypt, where you were enslaved. And the third option, to follow the local gods, those are the people recently defeated by the one true God. So he gives them these options. And I'm sure that there would have been some people who would have been sitting there and they would have been saying, um, sorry, Joshua, I, I understand that it might be, you know, you and your household are going to serve God, but I'm not religious. I wasn't planning on following any God. I'm just going to... Is there a none of the above option? What he doesn't say, and the assumption that Joshua has made, is that they will pick one. There is not an opt-out option. And we do not have an opt-out option. You see, there's a fundamental misunderstanding that people have, there are two things that we misunderstand greatly. One is that we, do, we assume that we are not built for worship. We are built for worship. We are created for worship. We worship anything all the time. That is it. It's not one of those things like, you know when you, get a, when you get something new and it has a factory setting? That means you can't shift it or change it. That's how it was designed to do that particular role. Like We're like that with worship. People are like that with worship. If you are a human being with mind, will, and emotions, you are built for worship. You will worship. And you say to yourself, well, I'm, not, I'm just not going to pick it. I'm just not going to pick one of those gods. Do you know what happens when you don't pick? You, you, you actually end up still by picking. Like you just don't realize you're picked. Because what happens is your choices will pick for you. You will meander and find yourself worshiping a god that you didn't realize because you didn't actually pick the right god. You have to have a choice. What I find really interesting is that um, 
uh, Peter Kreft, he's a philosopher, and he put it this way, and I thought it was really cool. He says, the opposite of theism is not atheism. It's actually idolatry. See, everyone is going to worship a God. The question for you and I is not will you worship, but who or what are you worshiping? The other thing that people misunderstand is that they assume that worship is only to do with church, only to do with religion. We assume that because I don't go to church, therefore I don't need to worship anything. That's, that's totally wrong. Have you ever thought about the things that they advertise on TV? You see, the advertisers are really clever because they appeal to the worshiper in you. They say to you things like, if you are unhappy in your life, or if you are sad in your life, if you are depressed, then if you buy this product, it's going to make you happy, and it's going to make your life wonderful, and you'll no longer be depressed. They, they tell you all the time, you know, buy this thing here, because your life will look better. It happens all the time, and what they are doing is they're appealing to the worship in you. They're appealing to that. Have you ever seen sports fans? They worship. New Zealand worships the All Blacks. I know it's a dodgy thing to say in New Zealand, but it's true. I know people. I have, I have three sisters. I have one sister in particular who is very reserved in nature. She's very quiet, doesn't say much, very almost standoffish. In fact, people, people have accused her of, of being a snob. She's not. She's actually just a very reserved person. Until there's a league game. And then it's like, oh my gosh, who are you? She is so bad that her husband will not stand on the same side of the field as her. She has to stand on the far side. It gets so bad that sometimes her children move down the sideline. When I go and watch a game with her, shush, what, be quiet, what are you saying? Like, and then I want to move onto the other side of the field with her husband. Like seriously, it depends on what it is and where you are, but you will worship something. In this current world, we have infinite choices of the things that we can worship, and we do worship. We have, there's one exception. We cannot opt out. You will worship. You will choose. And what Joshua is saying is pick one. At the very least, be educated about the decision that you're making because otherwise you're going to find yourself wandering in and worshiping a God that you didn't realize that you were worshiping until it's too late and you are trapped. That is what happens. Worship is a built-in human reflex. It's when we put our hope and our desire into something and we pursue it as much as we can. You hold on to something and you spend your life pursuing it. You hold on to the goal of, of having five houses so I can have a, a rental portfolio and then you pursue that with everything within you. You decide that you're going to be the world champ at Taekwondo and I'm just picking on another sister who my youngest sister currently is the world champ for Taekwondo. But for her to attain that, she has had to give up everything. And when I say everything, we have family meals, and she rocks up, and she just eats broccoli. <laughs> like, you got to understand, when my family do meals, we do meals. Look at us. Like, and it's awesome. And she has given up a lot to obtain that thing. 
We identify the things we want, whether they're good or they're bad, and then we pursue them. We have an appetite. From the time we are born and we begin to seek out milk as a baby, we realize that we can satisfy our appetite. So then we transfer that to other things, and we begin to look and search out good things, bad things, and then we pursue them. The end result is that our life begins to look and take on that of the God that we are pursuing. We make a choice to worship, and at some point along the way, we find out that that choice now controls us, always ends up by controlling us. The object of your worship will actually determine your future. It's the one choice that we make that every other choice we have is motivated out of. You see, Joshua is speaking to all of us when he's giving us four options. He wants you to be educated about what what decision you're making. Don't just blindly follow. Don't just blindly wander into a choice and suddenly find yourself trapped. At least own your decision about who and what you're worshipping. So how do I know? How do I know what I'm worshipping? Because let's face it, the majority of us would have just wandered into something and then we find we're trapped. Our choices give us a strong indication of what gods we're worshipping. Things like what you choose to do for a living, how I choose to manage my money, what I choose to watch on TV, what movies I watch, what do I watch on YouTube, the people I choose to have as friends, what websites I choose to visit, the clothes I choose to wear, the way I choose to spend my day off, the food I choose to eat, what I choose to think about, what I will miss church for, what I will stop reading my Bible in preference of. These are all choices that we make that reveal the God that we are following. Maybe you never thought about it in those terms. If you think about the four options that Joshua gave them like a compass, and they're going in four different directions. Because whatever God you end up by serving will lead you somewhere. So the first one, option one, the gods of our fathers and our mothers. These are the gods of heritage. The gods that your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River. These are the gods of the Sumerian and Babylonian culture. In reality, if we're talking about exactly where they were, they have a god for nearly every single incident. For every single conceivable purpose, they had a god for it. They had three cosmic deities and they had three astral deities. And these were what governed and ruled everything. They had a whole bunch of specialized uh, gods and corresponding demons. Like whatever you found your hand touching, it probably had a god attached to it in their culture. The hills, rocks, and mountains, they considered to be alive and living. And therefore, if the volcano starts rumbling, let's just throw somebody in there to appease the god. That's how it worked. What you've got to understand is that Abraham actually came from that society. He actually came from there. In the area where he was living, he was part of the people who served those Sumerian and Babylonian gods. His father was an idol worshiper. The Bible tells us this. Belief in these gods... It's interesting because Abraham happened hundreds of years, hundreds of years beforehand, but belief in those gods still existed in the Israeli people, in the Hebrew people, right through 
their captivity into slavery, right through God leading them through the wilderness, right up until Joshua's time. Joshua knew that there were some people who were still serving the gods of heritage. But Joshua wants to know, are they simply going to default to the gods of their forefathers? And to be honest, that's a very valid question for us. We raise our children in our faith or our lack of faith, depending on if you believe or not. Quite often, we teach them the same things that we were taught by our parents and that they were taught by their parents. We unconsciously erect idols in our home and teach our children to worship at the feet of those things all the time. Think about the family that you were raised in. Think about your parents. Think about your grandparents. Could it be that some of the gods that you are struggling with now were relevant and were being worshipped by your parents or your grandparents? You see, these are things that we fall into. Psychology call it, um, they call this transference, the law of exposure. And basically what the law of exposure says is that our lives are determined by our thoughts and our thoughts are determined by what we are exposed to. So our minds absorb and our lives ultimately reflect whatever we are most frequently exposed to. So it shouldn't be surprising that we have a tendency to worship the same things that our parents do. This law of exposure is, is quite a helpful law when you're talking about demonic spirits and how they want to influence things. I don't know if you've noticed, but since in the Western world homosexuality has now been acceptable, on TV you start to see um, polygamy start to happen because they're trying to expose you to this so that you get used to this so that when they actually start to present this as a valid lifestyle, you're going to go, oh, okay, because... You got exposed to it. Does that make sense? So what other things have you seen in your family that you were exposed to that you've just adopted and accepted? Was your father really driven for a successful career? Did he sacrifice vacations, holidays, days off to pursue the career, to get to the top of the ladder? Was his temple his office and did he worship there about 60 hours a week? Is it possible that you yourself are driven by success and career and achievement, and instead of finding your identity and purpose in God, you are finding it in your career. Did your dad worship sports, sex, money, status, beer? Are these things that you've observed and been exposed to and have just accepted as what you should be doing? What about your moms? Do they care overly much or were they obsessed about appearance? about perfection? Were they forever trying to update the house? And if somebody down the road got a brand new car, she wanted a brand new car, but with better upgrades on it than they got? Is it possible that you now actually worship at the, at the feet of the gods of perfection and appearance? Instead of finding your identity and worth in Christ, do you find it in the clothes that you wear, the house that you live in, the car that you drive? What people think of you? Did your mom worship shopping? Did she worship her career? Did she worship her children? Did she worship entertainment? These are all questions that we should be considering before we make the decision about which God we're going to follow. The second option is the gods of our past. These are the gods of our upbringing. The gods that your ancestors worshipped in Egypt. The gods of ancient Egypt were on the other side of the Red Sea. 
These are the gods that the previous generation, Moses' generation, had all served. These are gods from the past that never went away. What's really interesting about the Egyptians is they had a huge Parthenon of gods. They had a massive, like if you actually start listing all the Egyptian gods, once again, they were people who had, had a god for everything. What's interesting is that they loved mixing human and um, animal parts together. So uh, you had different gods like Horus, who was the god of the Delta, who was their main god. He had the body of a man and the head of a falcon. And then his partner, Hathor, she had the face of a woman but the body of a cow. And so they had these kind of weird, um, you know, transformers, I guess. Of um, So they had these really popular gods, and they, but again, they worshipped nearly everything. They worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. Smorgasbord worship was their thing. And even though they had... Had, they hadn't gone, Israel had not gone into Egypt with the intent of worshipping those. They ended up by doing it because it was around them where they were being raised, where they were being up, brought up. Did you know that they were slaves for longer than New Zealand has been a nation? There was no way they could live in that environment without picking up some of the stuff and absorbing the culture around them. And Moses led them out. But the gods weren't about to give up their fight. In fact, it says in Ezekiel 20, At that time I told them, Get rid of all the vile things that you've become addicted to. Don't make yourselves filthy with the Egyptian no-god no idols. I alone am God, your God. Do you find yourself struggling with things of the past that you should let go? Particularly, you become a Christian and you think to yourself, I'm a Christian now, I'm following Jesus. and But you discover that there's some stuff that has clung to your life. There's some embarrassing things that you still do, that when you actually stop and consider them, you're a bit ashamed that they're still clinging to your life. And you don't understand why. And you're like, but you know, I became a Christian, and I, you know, I said this in his prayer, why am I still doing this? Why is this stuff still sticking to my life? Why is this past still dragging me back into it? Why do I still behave the way I did in the past? I lose my temper, I throw things, I do this or that, or whatever it is that still clings to your past. You see, what happens is that a lot of people become Christians. They invite Jesus into their lives that everything is great, and it really is. But what happens sometimes is that we haven't changed. Repentance means to turn 180 degrees in the different direction and change. And sometimes we just don't change. Those old desires we still entertain. Those old thought patterns we still, we still follow. Those old habits we still do. You see, we invited God to come into our lives, but we did it without leaving behind the other ones that we were still serving. That's a challenge for most of us, particularly in this world, because we don't always think about that. We don't always think about We just think, oh, I can just get saved and everything will be fine. That's not how it works. You actually have to leave your past behind. That's why baptism is so important, because it actually helps you and gives you the ability to be able to leave those things behind. The challenge for most of us is not that we don't want to follow Jesus or not that we haven't said we will follow Jesus. It's that we want to take all of our other stuff with us. You cannot follow Jesus and take those gods with you. It doesn't work like that. It's one or the other. And Joshua knows this. He knows that Egypt is still clinging to his people. He knows that some of them are still following those old ways. If you know the story, you know they came out of Egypt. And when Moses went up 
to get the Ten Commandments. They're down there building themselves a golden calf, following the ways of Egypt. So even if you've chosen God in the past, even if you've chosen to follow Jesus in the past, the challenge that Joshua has for us is to choose this day. Choose today who you will serve. Then option three brings us to the local gods. These are the gods of our culture. The gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. You see, the gods of the Amorites, they met once they crossed the Jordan. These are probably the gods that we battle with the most here today. The reason why I say that is because their weapon is, is quite interesting. Their weapon is proximity. Their weapon is proximity. Because these gods, the gods of our culture, they like to hide in plain sight. They like to hide out in the open. And we don't realize that they're there. You see, Israel, where they were at that time, they were living in a very diverse society, much like the one that we're living in. We live in a very diverse society. They have many different peoples, many different beliefs, many different understandings of things. The dominant deity for them was Baal. He originally started out as the god of weather, but as he grew in power and authority, he became the god of fertility and the god of ritual prostitution. He, of course, had a partner, had a par- and her name was Asherah. She's the mother goddess. She was in charge of sacrifices, usually child sacrifices. She also had a lot of sexual rights in and around her temple. And because these gods lived where the Israelites lived, they were widely accepted by majority of people. What's interesting is that both Baal and Asherah are the two gods that most of the prophets of Israel had the biggest issue with. They despised them. They despised them greatly because they had home field advantage, because the Israelites were living in the same place that these gods ruled and reigned. Two of the most significant factors that you'll discover when you're trying to work out which God is going to rule your life are time and place. In our day and age, we don't see Baal and Asherah We don't see great big monuments to um, child sacrifices happening. We don't see massive big temples. We can practice temple prostitution. Why? Because they don't fit within our times, but they fitted within their times very easily. But we have other battles who are hiding in plain sight. We have our own gods of our culture that we are battling with all the time, things that we see all the time that we don't realize that we actually need to stand up for against. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Patterns of this world was actually Paul's way of describing the spirit of this age, the gods of the culture that we face. To go with the flow is to actually go along with the pattern. The Bible advises us that the best way to overcome this is to actually plug into the truth, read your word of God, and that will tell you the truth of a situation. It will be unpopular because the gods that we face do not like what God is saying. I really like the way that the Message Bible puts it, and it puts it like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday Ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And then Joshua, of course, brings up the last option, which is God himself. And he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This really was the only option they had all along. The others weren't really options. They're not actually real. They're just a mirage. There's nothing good about those other options. They may look promising. You may have been able to drink from the Red Sea. You may have been able to drink from the Jordan. You may have been able to drink from the Euphrates. But they are not the living water. You will always thirst. But if you drink from the living water, you will never thirst because God alone is the living water. What's interesting is that Joshua says, reminds them, he tells them, God took us out of here. God provided this. God has redeemed us. God has saved us. God has protected us. God has provided for us. We have provision. And he gives them this whole list of everything that God has done for them. And it's quite an exhaustive list. And he goes through the list. And then he says to them, so make a choice. Follow God who's done all this stuff or choose one of these other three gods who have done nothing for you. And really, that's the answer, isn't it? They've done nothing. What value has chasing, chasing wealth actually brought anybody? What about the gods of pleasure? Did they ever actually deliver on lasting happiness? What about the gods of sex? Have they actually provided a joy that lasts for more than a moment? What have those other gods done for you? If anything, they have enslaved you. They have robbed you. They have left you disappointed. I don't know anyone who has actually been able to come and experience God and then go and experience what those other gods have offered and come away going, oh, I need to pick those other gods. We get so trapped by these things that we are bound up. And this is why Joshua is saying to them, you need to make an educated decision about what you're doing because otherwise you're going to end up enslaved to something that you didn't intend to. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What I find really interesting about that is that that word serve that he uses, our English language is kind of limited. So if you look at it in the Hebrew, what it actually is saying is that Joshua is saying that I have served and I will continue to serve. It means it's a daily decision that he has to make. You see, Joshua chose to fight against the Amalekites even when it might cost him everything. Because that's what God asked him to do. You see, he lived a life that was continuously serving God. And that is the question for you. Are you going to live a life that continues to serve a God who will redeem you, a God who has saved you, a God who has provided for you, a God who will continue to provide for you? Or are you going to choose one of these other gods whose sole purpose is just to enslave you? This verse has been... There have been two verses that have been really strong for me in my life as, I, as I've grown up as a Christian. As from the time I was 15, two verses that stood out. One of them was, has God said? The other one is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And those have guided my life the whole time. 
when I've wanted to run away from things, and there have been times when I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, God. I'm, and I'll be honest, when we first came here to pastor this church, there were moments when I wanted to walk out. I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with these people. This is not fun. This is hurtful and painful and all, a whole bunch of other stuff. And, and God was like reminding me of that verse. Has God said? No, God didn't say I could go. Then it became... What are you going to do about that? Are you serving God or are you serving yourself? Well, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So if God says I can't go, even though I want to, I need to serve God. And it has held me to my commitment. It has held me to my marriage. It has held me when I wanted to let rip at people and say what I really think. It's kept my tongue still. It has held me when I have thought about, oh, look, there's 20 bucks. I could just put that in my pocket. Has God said you can do that? No, he hasn't. What are we doing? We're serving God, so we're not going to take that. I'm talking about when I was young, when I was 15, not now. (laughs) Just so we can clarify that. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you stand with God. I don't even know if you even believe that he exists. But one of the things that you'll find out if you have been in this church for a while or if you have just started journeying with us is that it always comes down to your relationship with God. I've always said to my kids, and I'm going to say the same thing to you, this is your relationship. It's not mine. You cannot live your Christianity through me. You cannot live your Christianity through Craig. You cannot live your Christianity through your husband or your wife. This is your relationship with God. All I want to do is encourage you, choose God. I have never regretted it. There are things I've regretted in my life. This is not one of them. Following God, I have never regretted it, ever, because he gives us hope, and he gives us purpose, and he gives us a destiny, and he gives us healing, and he gives us provision And he gives us understanding. And he gives us wisdom. And when I've needed it, he's given me creativity to get out of a situation that I didn't know how to get out of. And he will take you into places. And he will put you on mountains. And he will show you amazing things. And then at the end of the day, he will sit you on your lap. And he will tell you how much he loves you. And how important you are. And how amazing you are. There is not one other God that will do that. 